0: Sunday, Sunday, Bushwick Block Party, presented by Roberta, Death Killer's The Bush, Bushwick Music Studio, Heritage Radio Network, Band of the Faith, Free Fitness Studio, and New York Hostel, featuring Awesome Food from Roberta, Jen Owl Office, Fried Truck, Batch Grind Bot, Dodgeball, TK Stand, Buffett, Dydalek T-Shirt, Buffett, Photo Booth by Mary Meyer, Music <laughs> by... Team <Keep laughs> Rook, The Electric Tickle Machine, Seat Bowl, Bone Tap, Hunter, Get Real, Hight Show, Block Party, Four Street, between Bone and Mike, Honey in the Street, Free Show, followed by Death Killer's Death Alien, 3D,
1: BushwickBlockParty.com.
0: Horns Radio. Here we are. This is Severin. I'm your host. It is once again time to listen to the stories relevant to young farmers. I'm coming to you from across the country. Uh, we are here in, live in person in the Hudson Valley in a rainy, rainy, cloudy day. I'm very happy to be joined by Anne, who has just written a beautiful book called The Organic Farming Manual. It's available from Story Publishing, and I'm so glad to have you on the air today. Hello.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Well, thank
0: you so much for spending
1: all your winters writing a book
0: for young farmers like myself.
1: Are you a young farmer? That's wonderful.
0: Um, Maybe you could just introduce us to um, your book and, and what it covers.
1: The, the idea behind the book is that there is a lot of information now about organic farming out there from um, various groups and networks and even government agencies, but the problem is that there is not one a one-stop place to go where you can really find out what it's all about, um, where every aspect of farming is discussed, and then some of the other things that are just as important to farming success, which it would be marketing and guarding the quality of your your own life, so it's it's kind of a one stop um, shop for somebody who wants to start learning about organic farming.
0: Um, this is so great. Now, when you were um when you were just getting started in farming, um, where were you in the world, and and what was the story that brought you to a place where you had time in your winter to write about your insights?
1: <laughs> There's. You have to make time when you're a farmer. You don't have a lot of time, no matter what season it is. But I grew up um, in the suburbs of Minneapolis and had always wanted to live out in the country and was able to do so. We we moved out here in the early 90s. Uh, my husband consented to buy me a farm once I'd put him through school, and I sat down to... Start to learn about how to do it organically. I wanted to uh, raise what this land was capable of producing. And fortunately, I ran into a group of, of wonderful uh, women who started the Wisconsin Women's Sustainable Farming Network, which was very helpful. And then the neighbors are, are all wonderful here, and you can ask them questions and they help you out. So it's it's been a, a long journey, but it's been really, really fun.
0: And would you mind just describing for our listeners what your... Um what your operation entails how many acres what you raise and and um and when you're busiest during the year
1: sure we we have 250 acres here only about 60 of them are farmable. The rest is swamps and forests, which is wonderful if you're an organic farmer because that does give you a buffer against um, non-organic farms uh, where pesticides and things might drift over. So it's a perfect location. We're on rather sandy soils, so it's not good for crops that demand um, a high nutrients or a lot of uh, water retention capabilities. Um, it is perfect for growing things like alfalfa, root crops, um pastures so we have raised uh beef cattle for many many years uh laying chickens and meat chickens we had pigs for a while which was fun but once the kids left we don't have pigs anymore Um, we have a small orchard uh mostly apples with other fruit trees around the edges a vegetable garden uh a couple donkeys some dogs and a lot of visitors Um, The busiest times of year are really the spring and fall. Uh, The spring is when you are getting the garden in, uh, you're finishing up with your apple pruning, you're just setting up your uh, electric fences for rotational grazing of the livestock. Everything's starting to really take off. In the fall, you're f- finishing up things. You have to get the garden in the freezer and on the canning shelf, and the calves have to be vaccinated and weaned, and you have to market the ones that uh, you don't intend to keep, and you have to put the garden to bed and get the apples made into cider and apple butter. So fall tends to be pretty intense, too.
0: And then in the wintertime, you spend uh, writing a book for, for other farmers to encourage them into the hectic lifestyle and uh, counsel them. What are some of the major um, kind of big-picture counselings that you offer in this book, especially in terms of um, having a business that is both both profitable but also personally sustainable? You mentioned just now something about a network of women. That sounds like it may, may be a part of um, that balance.
1: I think networking with other farmers is incredibly important. Uh, farming, as as Faye Jones, who now heads the Midwest Organic Sustainable Education Service, and that organization was extremely helpful in putting this book together, uh, Faye once said to me that farming is really a regional enterprise. You can understand the general principles, but when you apply them to your own farm, um, it's different on every farm. Every farm is unique. You have your own different soils, climate, terrain, your own lifestyle, what you want. So you really have to work that all out for yourself. And the best way to do that is with the help of other farmers who understand your your neighborhood and uh, any government resources you can come across as well. So I think, I think networking is huge. That's, that's a very important thing. And uh, planning, planning ahead. Uh, if you are really want to m- make a living at this, you have got to have a good marketing plan. You just cannot go out, grow some things, and then hope somebody will buy them. It's, that is essential, and we do cover that in one full chapter in the book because marketing is so critical to success in this, in this sort of enterprise.
0: So you're talking about, on the one hand, um, being really on point and and with sharp teeth entering the marketplace, prepared um, to market your food even before you grow it, and on the other hand, um, networking with your neighbors. Have you ever run across um, anybody who's crotchety and doesn't want you in their marketplace, who doesn't want another farm crowding the scene?
1: Um, I have never come across that in organic farming. And, and I should mention that for uh, several years I worked for an agricultural newspaper and I had the privilege of visiting hundreds of farms here in Wisconsin and talking to farmers both about their, how they produce things and also often about how they marketed it. And organic farmers, the attitude seems to be the more the merrier. Um, the market continues to grow. Uh, we suffered a little in the last few years with the economic downturn However, its uh, growth is picking up again, and it just seems like there's never there's always room for more good food out there.
0: Are you seeing, um, I'm standing here in a field, but I'm often standing in a field, well, I'm in a field alone right now, but I'm often in a field with a young farmer um, because we've been finding ourselves just surrounded with um, new and beginning and aspiring and mid-career farmers, it's like it seems like every day there's um, yet a whole nother crew and a whole nother little regional pocket um, of new farmers who are just like rearing to go. Are you feeling um, that same presence in uh, Wisconsin?
1: Yes. Um, and isn't it wonderful? We, we do have the largest organic farming conference in the country here each spring in southern Wisconsin that is uh, put on by MOSES, the Midwest Organic Sustainable Education Service. And every time you go, you come home just inspired with a billion ideas. Uh, you've had a chance to talk to all sorts of people, and it gets bigger every year. It's just a wonderful, wonderful thing to see.
0: Uh, when I I went to that wonderful Moses con- conference and it's like almost a football field worth of um, organic compost exhibitors and fabulous tools for your garden and fair trade in America and all these wonderful um, ideas and I was noticing um, I stayed out with some young farmers out just across the state line and I was noticing the geology of the area and the character of the pre existing. Um, family farms and the scale of those farms really made it an ideal place for organic farming and that you really have the um, kind of a geological advantage over other parts of the country. Maybe you could talk about how the land um, there makes Wisconsin um, and the kind of upper Midwest, a really hospitable region for 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 new and, and smaller scale farmers.
1: I'd love to. Um, I think that really you can farm organically anywhere. It's just easier in some places than in others. In that particular region of South, Western Wisconsin is called the Driftless Area, and it was an area that was never glaciated, so that the terrain tends to be fairly steep. There's uh, high ridges, and they're divided by deep valleys, which makes it difficult to do real large-scale corporate farming. There's just the hills are too steep to run big equipment on or establish big fields, and to do any sort of farming successfully, you have to be extremely careful about conserving your soils because they're highly erodible. And so it's no accident that, um, you know, that was one of the first places in the country that soil conservation was, was showcased by the U.S. government. They started a project back there in the 1930s. And it's also no accident that it continues to be a hot spot for organic farming. Uh, the biggest and oldest dairy farm, farm cooperative, farmer-owned organic dairy cooperative started in the Kickapoo Valley down there, and that's, uh, of course, Organic Valley, or the Cooley Region Organic Produce Pool, as it was originally called.
0: And those people, those people are still going strong today. Organic Valley um, has been major, has been majorly supportive of Greenhorns, and at every event, we eat um, cookies made with their butter, or pies made with their butter, or cobbler's made with their butter, and served with whipping cream. That they've really been generous um, to share with us, and um, they. They have got um, their own set of young farmers to look after and have been really active in figuring out how to make sure that the next generation of organic farmers are able to succeed. I feel like that program is a reflection of what the whole organic movement is doing right now. And as, um, as someone who apprenticed with old hippies, um, and it really benefits from the institutions like Moses and from the mentorship of, folks who had a lot of learning to do on their own. I'm just so thankful that the elders of this movement continue to reach out and reach down um, to the youth and help us as we get along, get along our way. Um, would you mind talking a little bit about how the market climate um, looks now for people who are just, say, um, going into their first year of apprenticeship? Looking at the market as it is now, if they're going into that first apprenticeship, how long do you think that you would advise them um, to get to train for um, before they before they start thinking about being a farmer on their own? Like, what's your kind of best
1: advice on that? Oh my, that's, that's, a, that's a question that there's no hard and fast answer to. It depends very much on how fast you learn, what sort of farming you're going into, and how fast you can develop your own markets. Uh, so it's it's going to really just depend on where you are in the world and what you're selling. Um, I, I would and, and you do have to be able to produce a good product consistently before you can expect to make a living at organic farming. There's no doubt about that. And for some people in some areas, this will take longer, and in others, it might happen pretty quick. Um, If you have a lot of land and uh, are good with livestock, I think you can start raising quite a bit of beef cattle if if you or your spouse is good at going out there and selling them. There's so many things that factor into this. And that actually goes back, in a way, to um, what you were saying before about how the older members of the organic movement have been so opening to newer members, and, and especially when in offering internships, and I believe a lot of that is because the older members of the organic farming community are getting darn close to retirement, and they would love to be able to pass on their knowledge, their wisdom, and a working organic farm to somebody who would continue that tradition. So I would really urge anybody who's interested in organic farming to go out there and start Meeting people, networking with some of these older farmers, because many, many of them are looking for ways to to pass on this tradition, to keep this thing going.
0: So not only are these um, elders available to, to teach you about farming and get your skill set up to snuff, there are also going to be in the coming years, a whole a slew of like boomer boomer opportunities where folks who've been beautifully tending a plot of land, will be looking for um, stewards um, to take that operation over, is what you're kind of predicting.
1: I believe it's starting to happen, just from talking to other farmers and uh, seeing what's going on in the world. Um, I know that we have friends that are starting to think about how they're going to pa- we have several friends who are starting to think about how they're going to pass their farm on and uh, those opportunities are definitely out there. Um, Maybe some of these older farmers haven't even gotten that far yet. They know they want to pass the farm on, but they haven't started to figure out how they're going to do it, and I'm sure they'll welcome some ideas.
0: Well, that's really a great thing to hear because so many people um, that I deal with on a day-to-day basis say, oh, I want to be a farmer, I've been farming, I've been apprenticing, um, and, you know, we, we call, get a lot of people who are basically calling for a pep talk, so it's a self-selecting audience, but um, who are really frustrated by um, how difficult it is, especially near big cities like New York, um, to get access to land. So...
1: Land, land is expensive. That is probably the number one barrier. Um, in the book, you know, the, one of the best parts, my favorite part of the book, is the 30 or so farmers that we interviewed and whose stories are told in the book. They're from all over the country. They're from every kind of farm imaginable. And one of the most interesting was Caretaker Farm in Massachusetts, where uh, a couple who, the couple, Sam and Elizabeth Smith, who established this fabulous farm in Massachusetts, um, were able to pass on their land and the farm operation to a couple um, through community involvement and all sorts of ways. So the couple that could not have afforded the farm for themselves is now running it, offering internships to more new farmers and, and passing on that tradition. So the, the opportunities are out there, and we just have to be creative in how we make this all continue to happen.
0: So it's easy to moan and groan, and it's actually more productive to go out And read and book and examine the case studies of how other people who face similar perplexities in this land issue have just wiggled their way through the little holes that do present themselves in the universe if you will persist.
1: Absolutely. Read, talk to people, get a bucket of dirt and start a tomato plant on your apartment balcony, but just keep moving forward. Um, Moaning and groaning doesn't get you anywhere, that's for sure.
0: Okay, so now we are Covered a little bit what this and and why it's a really important thing to just be serious as you move into this um, set of thinking. Um, what are some of the other ways when you were when you were um, not writing this book before you were writing this book when you were reading books by other people that were not quite a one all in one source? What were some of your favorite um, favorite sources of wisdom? I know that you're in the region. Um, well, not that close, but a little bit close to Malabar Farm, and he was a lot about um, soil conservation. Maybe there's some other regional top
1: top hits that you could mention. I loved uh, Louis Bromfield's book, Pleasant Valley and Malabar Farms. In fact, they were one of the early inspirations for me. They're they're terrific things. Um, Another old one that was uh, written, I think, in 1910 by a fellow named Francis King, who went to China, Japan, and Korea and wrote Farmers of 40 Centuries, And that was also very influential for me. Um, Anything by J.I. Rodale, Um, his Encyclopedia of Organic Gardening, is just wonderful to browse through. Um, I'm thinking there's there's a lot of things out there. Uh, There's books on compost. I'm just looking through the resource section, my own book now. Gene um, Logsdon, who um, is not, did not write specifically organic books, but wrote has written hundreds of articles and many books on small-scale sustainable farming. And he's just a terrific read. Uh, Story Publications had an earlier book out called, by Carl Schwenke called Successful Small-Scale Farming an Organic Approach, which was another inspiration for me. Uh, there's There's many books out there on different aspects and some of the Older books, of course, talked about the genesis of organic farming. It's, there's, there's lovely things out there that will really warm up a long winter's night for you.
0: Well, that long winter night is coming on sooner than we think. And some of the old books, especially those books before they had chemicals, you can just get them for a song at your um, bookstore. Some of yeah. The- Ooh, that was the train, I'm sorry. Some of the <laughs> It's a nice time, now that all this money's coming in with tomatoes and melons and peppers and eggplants, now would be a good time to just go online and click around and order up some books from Dory and from Chelsea Green and from all these wonderful publishers. Um, stock up for winter. Absolutely. So we, hope that that, um, we hope that your book, Anne, will be on the list of many of the young farmers, and we really are so thankful to you for joining us today and for for contributing to this growing canon of... Um, literary offerings to these The next protagonists of our um, Nation's agriculture
1: Thank you Thank you Thank you so much for having me Farm on
0: <laughs> Farm on So dear listeners, thank you for joining us once again I'm your host, Severin There's so much to say and so much to do I to go down road by I'll see you next Bye bye Yes, I need to go down this lonesome road Hey, to go down this road by myself. Yes, I guess I might as well to make it.